Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and uh, open up to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And uh, for those of you joining us, um, maybe for the first time in this series, or uh, maybe you jumped in partway through, we've been going through this series we're entitling Tolerable Sins. And uh, <laughs> the short answer to this that we've repeated a couple of times is there's no, there's no such thing or there shouldn't be such a thing as a sin that we become prone to just tolerate. And uh, we say, well, this isn't as bad as this, so I'm just going to become okay with it. And that should be rooted in our desire uh, to become less and less like who we are and more and more like Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. And uh, in fact, just as an accountability measure, I want you to turn to someone near you and say, you need to become more like Jesus. Just let's share that, okay? And the resounding answer in response to that, when someone tells you that, should be a humble, yes, I do. I desperately need to become more and more like Jesus. Amen. And that is my heart, church family. That is my heart for us. Uh, whether you are here in person or you are online with us, thanks for joining us in that way. Uh, my longing <laughs> is for you to join us corporately and join me in this journey of simply becoming more like Jesus. And there's no greater pursuit, family. There really is no greater pursuit than that. And as we go through this, we're actually going to mix it up a little bit. Normally, we've been starting with our memory verses. Um, I'm actually partway through my message today. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a pop quiz. <laughs> and some of you are going, oh, no, <laughs> I hate pop quizzes. I'm one of those people who does not like pop quizzes because I'm a planner. So and when in school, when someone threw a pop quiz at me, I just. Ah! It's not that bad. You're not going to be graded. I'll let the Holy Spirit do that. Um. <laughs> Just kidding. Calm down. But I do want to start with one of those verses, okay? Because at the end of the day, when we ask the question, why should we be internalizing Scripture? It should be for this reason. So let's say this together, all right? I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 11. All right. Uh, let's say that again without looking at it. All right. Let's say that together. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 11. Uh, that sh- that, that's why. 
we need the word of God because the word of God is going to instruct us and help us to see where are the areas of my life that I'm prone to be okay with sinful behavior that I shouldn't be okay with. And how am I going to become less and less that way? How am I going to be more and more like Jesus? I have to begin not just hearing the word of God, but internalizing it into who I am and then living it out. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? So I might not sin against you, Father God. And as we, as we jump into this today, I'm going to give you the new memory verse this morning. Um, which is another one out of Ephesians 4. We've got Ephesians 4.29 when we talked about gossip and slander. Um, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building others up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. But there's another one in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4.32. Let's read this one together. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4:32. If you get nothing else out of today, this is what I want you to get. This passage of scripture. I want you to hold on to this. I want you to Psalm 119 states, I want you to hide this in your heart. And we're going to talk more today about why we should do that, but This, I don't have a separate main idea today because this is the main idea. This is the point. And the tolerable sin that we become prone to be okay with that we're going to talk about today is the sin of unforgiveness that often leads to bitterness. And at the end of the day, this is where we need to come back. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So as we step into this, I want to pray, and then we're going to read this parable that Jesus told in Matthew 18. We're going to start in verse 21, and then we're going to unpack that and trust the Lord to guide us and direct us as his people. Father, as we come to you today, may you open our eyes, may you bring to us a humility that is rooted in an understanding of what has been done for us in Christ, that he died for our sin, that he rose again to conquer death, and he ascended and he's seated at your right hand and intercedes on our behalf. May our confidence be rooted not in ourselves but in Jesus, and may our hope be in Christ and in Christ alone. I pray this through his name. Amen. Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, it sets up the conversation and the parable, or a parable is another word for story. Um, Jesus often taught this way because people remembered when he could paint a picture of a theological, biblical truth, uh, it stuck with people, and that's true for us today. But what happens here is one of Jesus' followers named Peter comes to him and asks him a question that I think many of us honestly would wrestle with too. And he says this, verse 21, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And you might wonder, where does this, this seven come from? Well, we could 
maybe speculate for a long time about the significance of seven in Scripture being a number of completion, the seven days of creation, all of these things. I don't want to delve into that because much of it's speculation. But one thing I do want you to note in this is if you go back and you look at historical records uh, within Jewish culture specifically, it was commonly taught that uh, you were only required to forgive three times. And the fourth time, you didn't need to forgive. I went back and actually, I've heard this before, but I, I stepped back this week and I went, I want to read and see if that's legitimate. And I found many Jewish documents and teachers who said that very thing. And I was curious where it is rooted in. And I actually, for a moment, I just want to go back to uh, the Old Testament, to the book of Amos. The book of Amos, it is, uh, if you, if you, uh, um, if you hit Psalms, you've gone too far. Okay. It's not too far back into the Old Testament. And there is absolutely never any shame in using your table of contents, church family. Open up to the front of your Bible, see where that's at. And uh, this, this principle within Jewish culture uh, was often quoted coming back to the book of Amos, specifically Amos chapter 2. And in Amos chapter 2, it says, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. That's verse 1. If you jump to verse 4. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Then you jump to verse six. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Okay, so uh, the Jewish writings that I read this week in order to solidify that this was what was commonly stated uh, referenced Amos chapter two, where the Lord says, Three times these specific happenings I will forgive, but the fourth time I'm not going to withhold punishment, judgment that's going to come. Now, you need to understand Amos is a prophetic book that uh, Amos was called to pronounce judgment coming from God, specifically to warn the people about what would happen if they continued in the direction they were going. The reason I bring this up, if you go back to Matthew 18, is because when Peter comes out to Jesus and says, how many times, Lord, seven? We have to wonder if Peter's going, I'm really going to overdo it. More than double, not six, seven times. And maybe, we don't know this, but maybe Peter's thinking, I'm just going to, I'm going to shoot high and maybe the standard will be lowered. But what we're going to see is that it's quite the opposite. Look at verse 22 of Matthew 18. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or some of your translations might say 70 times seven. And you might go, well, why is it different? Well, it depends on uh, whether you uh, 
which which ancient translation it comes from. And I often tell people when we come to that, it doesn't really matter whether it's 77 or 70 times 7. The point is, it's much bigger than 7. And Jesus is talking here about forgiveness. And that's the point. It's emphasizing whether it's 70 times or 490 times. The point is, you shouldn't be keeping track. And then he tells this story. So let's listen to this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, just to put that in perspective a little bit, some of you may have a footnote in your Bibles, like a number three or a number there that goes to the bottom of the page, where it says a talent, one talent, it was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages. Everyone say, wow. Okay. Oh, we can do better than that. Everyone say, wow. wow. There we go. He owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 times 20 years. The point being, impossible. And since, this is verse 25, since he could not pay his, since he could not pay, understandably so, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, to put it in perspective, you may have another footnote there. A denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. So we've got 10,000 times 20 years versus a hundred days. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Everyone say, this is hard. And that's what I've been saying to myself all week long. And in fact, I had, a, I had someone recently, actually I've had a couple of people recently tell me, um, I, I really wish I could say I've enjoyed this sermon series, but I haven't. And I go, I haven't either. We're talking about sin. We shouldn't enjoy that. Especially if we're taking that to heart and going, this is convicting and challenging. I know it has been for me. 
I've been deeply troubled by some of the things as I'm reading scripture. I'm going, oh, Lord, make me more like Jesus, please. Because this is hard. But just because something's hard absolutely does not mean we should avoid it. Amen. We've got to root into these things because this is what God has called us to. Three observations we can make from this. Number one, forgiveness is modeled by God. The point of Jesus' parable, he's clearly articulating that the king in the story is God the Father. And as in the parable, the king had every right to hold the servant accountable. And instead he offered grace. Your debt is forgiven. Go, you're free from this. This is not only true of God in the New Testament. And it's one of the reasons I encourage people, you need to read through the whole counsel of God's word. You need to read through the whole Bible. Because we see God's forgiving nature in the Old Testament. And anyone who tells you otherwise hasn't really read the Old Testament. The whole book of Hosea is where God tells Hosea to, to marry a prostitute. And then as she continues to go after other men, you go after her and continue to be faithful. And then he says, this is exactly who I am to my people. That no matter how many times you go off and stray and pursue other things and are faithless, I will continue to pursue after you. God faithfully calls us back to Himself over and over again. And yet we choose to be unfaithful with the world. Forgiveness has been modeled by God. The most visible representation of God's forgiveness modeled by God the Father is in the sending of His Son Jesus to this earth. Why did Jesus come? Because you and I are sinners separated from God by sin and unable to come before God. God knew this and so He sends Jesus. And that's what John 3 says, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in the name of Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. And the amazing thing about that is God doesn't say, oh, okay, come to Jesus, but you need to know, here's the list of qualifications that you need to accomplish before you come to Jesus. And I can't tell you how many times I encounter that with people, in, even in our own community, where they say, I will, I, you know, when I get my life a little more in order, I, I, then I'll consider my need for Jesus. I go, no, 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 that's the point. God has intersected us with Christ while we are still in our sin, while we're still in our brokenness. Romans 5, 8 says, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. God has given His Son that we could have life and life to the fullest. Forgiveness has been modeled by God the Father. The second observation we can make here in this parable that Jesus is sharing, is that an attitude of forgiveness is the expected result of God's forgiveness. 
We see that clearly when the king summons the servant back and he says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Should this have not been the example for you to follow? And the amazing truth in this is God has not called us to something that he has not already fleshed out and lived out. That's why Jesus is the very example we're to fix our eyes on. It's not that God is sitting up there going, oh, by the way, I'm just going to keep adding to this list of rules and I'm never going to do it myself. You're never going to see it. I just want you to figure it out. No, no, no. He literally came to the earth in human form and modeled for us how to live. An attitude of forgiveness is the expected result of God's forgiveness. This coincides with our target illustration as we've been painting this image. To sin literally means, it's an archery term that means to miss the mark. What is the mark? The mark is God's holiness, the holiness of God. And when we think about that, every one of us should kind of hang our head because we realize we are so far from the holiness of God. And when we realize that, don't stop there. Come to this place of recognizing I need more than myself. I need Jesus. In the same way God has shown mercy, we are called to show mercy. Now this third observation is one I want you to note down and I want you to stick with me because many people are going to see this and you're not going to like it. And that's this. Don't expect the forgiveness of God if you are unwilling to forgive. Matthew 6, Jesus talks about this right after the Lord's Prayer. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, someone will undoubtedly say, Matt, you have said salvation is by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. It's not of work so that no one can boast. Isn't this a work? Are you not just saying that if I'm not forgiving, if I don't forgive, then I'm God won't forgive me. And if I'm not forgiven, then am I saved? First thing, nothing in these verses has anything to do with salvation. Rather, it's talking about forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. While we may be tempted to jump to such thoughts, we often do so. To try and calm any conviction and concern that should come when we consider the brevity of these verses. When we think about a passage like this, it should cause a heaviness in us. We should not be asking, does my forgiving attitude save me? Rather, we must ask... What does my unforgiveness say about my understanding about salvation? 
Trust me when I say I would much rather stand up here today and talk to you about how this is not actually saying what it says. But it doesn't. Here is what I want you to ponder. The one who is not changed by the forgiveness of God in Christ is just glad to be off the hook themselves, but has not been transformed. This is revealed in their unwillingness to forgive the one who has wronged them, though it be a significantly less debt than what I owe for my own sin. Ephesians 4.32, which was our memory verse, forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. Colossians 3, which we read earlier, forgive as you have been forgiven by God. Now, I want to preface something and say, because as I say these truths, I recognize that there are many hearing this right now who have suffered unimaginable tragedy. And in no way am I saying that somehow you have to be okay with what has happened to you. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness doesn't equal trust. For, forgiveness doesn't mean that I can ignore sinful behavior. That's not what this is. And there's a difference between struggling with forgiveness and living in unforgiveness. And nowhere in here is Scripture saying that I can't struggle with forgiving this person. That's not what it's saying. But if I have resolved in and of myself that I will not forgive them, then I really need to step back and question whether or not I have truly understood the salvation and forgiveness that I have been given by Jesus. I have to step back and actually evaluate that. Just like this wicked servant who was forgiven an unimaginable debt and goes out and finds the circumstance of the, the world and, no, I'm not going to forgive them. You, you have not grasped what has been given to you by the king. Boundaries are biblical. Unforgiveness is not. Discernment is biblical. Unforgiveness is not. Accountability for sin is biblical. Unforgiveness is not. And when we think about what unforgiveness says, this is what it communicates. Unforgiveness says what I have been given for Je- by, in Jesus is only for me. It's not. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world... 1 Peter 3 says, God is not slow, as some count slowness, but He's patient, desiring that all would reach repentance. Unforgiveness says, my, my sin is worth forgiving, yours is not. Wrong. No. If that person's sin is not worth the forgiveness offered in Jesus, then neither is yours. Unforgiveness says, I am good enough to be forgiven. You are not. Scripture says, none of us are good enough. And that's why salvation is a gift. It's undeserved favor. You can't earn it. 
unforgiveness says God has not really called us to walk like Jesus. He did. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race set before us, looking to who? Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Unforgiveness says, I know better than God. I don't. Now here's where our pop quiz comes in, church. Unforgiveness traps you. It traps you and imprisons you. When you root into unforgiveness, you're the one who's affected, not that other person. They probably don't even know that you're struggling with unforgiveness. You entrap yourself. And as a result of that entrapment, here's what happens. I become angry. I don't like being trapped and in a corner. I'm struggling with unforgiveness, so now I'm angry. And James 1, 19 and 20 says what? Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James 1, 19 and 20, right? Unforgiveness causes me to become impatient. I just want to move on. I just want to be done. I want to get past this. And Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for, for the Lord... Be strong, let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. We could go another one in there. When the Lord says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. It's not your job. Unforgiveness causes me to go into coping mechanisms, self-indulgence. I start indulging in my flesh to try and numb the feelings of anxiety and pain because of the unforgiveness in my heart. I'm trapped by this. And Galatians 5, verse 16, it says, walk by what? Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. Unforgiveness causes me to potentially gossip and slander about this person. This is probably the most common response I hear. So-and-so did such-and-such to such-and-such, and I heard about it from so-and-so, and we're just going to talk about it. And there's unresolved stuff here, and so I'm going to tell all these friends and other people for no purpose other than to feel like I'm somehow powerful by the information I possess. And Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no... Unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which builds others up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This last one is not one of our memory verses, but oftentimes what we see is that unforgiveness causes bitterness to rise up in us and we become a bitter shell of a person. And Hebrews 
twelve fifteen says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Church family, this is not easy. This is not culturally encouraged. Our culture says if someone does wrong to you, cut them off, remove them, uh, you wish the worst upon them. You're deserving of doing that. And I want to reiterate once again, forgiveness does not mean trust. If uh, I have someone come over and watch my children while my wife and I go on a date and I find that the person who had watched my children uh, treated them poorly, forgiveness does not mean that I invite them back to watch my children. That's foolish. Because they've broken trust. Forgiveness means that I don't condemn that person to hell because of this mistake and the bad choice that they've made. That's what forgiveness looks like. So for the person who is in the midst of or maybe coming out of a very abusive relationship, forgiveness does not mean you ignore what's been done to you. Scripture does not affirm that you stay in a situation like that. For the person who is just wrestling with something someone said to them, Years ago, forgiveness doesn't mean you forget what was said to you and the hurt that caused. That's real. But it means that I'm not going to see that person solely through that lens. In application, I want to give you a couple things, because this is a question I think most of us would ask. I'm struggling with a wrong that's been done. How do I discern the difference between unforgiveness and mistrust? What do I do? Here's the questions I would encourage you to ask. And you could take a picture of this slide. You could write it down. Do you long for revenge or repentance? Do you long for that person to repent of their sin and experience new life? Or do you just want them to pay? One's unforgiveness, one's forgiveness. Do you long for elimination or eternal salvation? Do I just want them wiped off the face of the earth? Or do I pray that they would experience, it goes to the third one, the same forgiveness and transformation in Christ that I have been given? Do you long for this person to experience that? If the answer to that is no, there's a good chance you're dealing with unforgiveness and you need to stop And remember what you've been told about the gospel, the good news about Jesus. And reroute yourself. The last question. How do I start the process of walking in forgiveness? The first step I would encourage you to take is... I love giving you journaling things because writing things down solidifies it way more than just hearing it. So I really challenge you to actually do this exercise. Write down the things you can actually control. One of my favorite illustrations of this is actually an illustration of driving a car. Um, When you're driving a car, 
What are you in control of? What do you think? Someone says the car. Someone says the speed. Someone says yourself. Someone says the radio. Okay. Here's the thing. Every single part on that vehicle could go wrong. You could push the button. You could push the accelerator. Something's broke. Nothing happens. Some of you may have experienced being stranded by a car on the side of the road or stranded in a car on the side of the road. Some people, when I ask that question, they'll say, I control the route I take. Well, if the weather's bad or there's an accident on the road, you may not be in control of that. The only thing you have control over is the action that you take. And we could go even further in that illustration because something could go wrong internally in you and you not even be able to do that. The point being, we have to stop and actually evaluate in the difficult situations and scenarios that we step into or that we've experienced. What can I actually control? Here are four things that you can control. My response. Someone wrongs me. I can control how I respond. My attitude. You are not responsible for anyone else's attitude except your own. I can control where my eyes are fixed. Whether they're fixed on Jesus or they're fixed somewhere else. I can control that. I can also control my own proximity. You may be in a scenario where the only way that you're going to pursue forgiveness is to give some space. I can control that. If I know being in this situation is going to cause me to sin, then I need to change proximity. Write down the things you can actually control. If you're in a situation where you're struggling with unforgiveness, I would encourage you as step one this week. Stop, write down what the situation is, and then stop and think, prayerfully think about what can you control in this situation. And I'm going to tell you, you can control nothing about the other person or people involved. You cannot change them. Number two. Internalize what God has called you to in Christ. If you have been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, focus in on what He has called you to do, even if it's not received. Internalize what God has called you to in Christ. How do I do that? Uh, read your Bible. The word, will of God is the word of God. You don't have to wonder what God has called you to. It's right here. Not everyone in the world has access to this amazingly beautiful treasure. Pick it up this week and read it. Third, this is where it becomes really challenging sometimes. Pray for the heart of the one who has wronged you. Another really telling symptom of unforgiveness is if you can't even begin to pray for the heart of the person who has wronged you. And lastly, confess your own struggle to forgive. Be honest about it. As I said before, it's not wrong to struggle with this. 
church family. It's not wrong for us to have difficulty in living these things out. It's wrong for us to be resolved in it. And say, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what God has called me to. I will not. May we not become a people who is okay with that. As we consider these truths, we're going to transition just to our taking communion here. Because as we think about these things, we need to stop and ponder this. And when we, the reason we take communion together is to remind one another that we are unified in what Jesus has done for us. And that we are unable to come before God apart from Christ. And maybe you're here today and you just have no idea what in the world I'm talking about. And it's simply this. Every single one of us, every person in this room, misses the mark of God's holiness. We're not, we're not good enough. We never have been. No matter how hard we try, you and I will always fall short of what God has called us to in Christ. God, knowing this, sent His Son, Jesus, to give His life for you. And He calls us to believe. But He also calls us to repent. And repentance is, I'm turning and going the other direction. I have been going my own way, and I'm going to turn and go the way God wants me to go. That's what repentance looks like. Confessing that you did something wrong is not repentance. That's just verbalizing that you did something wrong. Repentance is when I turn and go the other way. And scripture says to all who believed him, who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But it came at a price. The price of Jesus' life. And so we take communion. This is meant to be taken by those who believe in the name of Jesus to be saved. Because we're united by what Jesus has done for us. And so we're going to pause a minute. And I want you to ponder what we've discussed today. Because it's heavy. And to consider your own relationship with the Lord. And what things need to be confessed. Maybe you need to write them down. Maybe you just need to take a little extra time. And reorient yourself. With where God in Christ has called you to be. To fix your eyes on Jesus. So I'm just going to pause. And in the quietness here, I want us to just reflect on biblical truth. And then I'm going to walk us through and we'll take this together, celebrating the hope and the promise we've been given in Jesus. And then we're going to sing a newer song that emphasizes how do we go about living this out? How do we do this? And then we're going to step out and do it, all right? So let's stop, let's ponder, and let's go to the Lord.
Father, we are unworthy. Apart from Jesus, we are unable to come before you. It's only in Christ that we have salvation. It's only in Jesus' name that we have hope. As we consider these truths, Lord, I thank you for the conviction of your spirit. Thank you that you don't leave us in our sin, but you've made a way where there seemed to be no way that we can have life and freedom. God, I praise you for the freedom you've given us in Christ. Freedom from a yoke of bondage as sin enslaves us to our flesh. Lord, we confess that it's a battle that we fight every day to choose to walk in the Spirit and not gratify the desires of our flesh. May we, in the reminder today, choose Your way and Your will above all else. God, thank You for the forgiveness that You've given us in Christ as we reflect upon that. May that motivate and influence how we walk in forgiveness with those who have sinned against us. God, may there be nothing that hinders us from receiving the full forgiveness you've offered in Christ. And may you open our eyes to see where we have allowed a blockade to stand in the way of that. Father, we confess this is hard, but we confess a desire to pursue your truth above our own feelings. May we live and walk in that together as we celebrate these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before Jesus was crucified, when he was with his disciples, he took bread, which is represented by the wafer on the top of this cup. And he passed it to each one of them. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. That Christ literally sacrificed himself for your sin. And we eat this together in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Let's eat the bread together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. He passed it around and as they passed it, he said to them, this is my blood which is poured out for you. And we remember that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin." And washes us clean. And it is only by the grace of God through Christ that we have salvation. As we reflect upon His sacrifice and His blood poured out, let's drink the cup together. Will you stand with me? Father, as we consider these truths... May you motivate us in humility to step into this day with a passion and a rejuvenation at the reminder of what you have given us in Christ. I give us a hope renewed as we consider this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.